Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to Cultivate Church Online. So glad you're here with us today. We're in a series, the very first installment of a series we've called Real Christmas. If you're our guest, maybe this is your first time tuning in. Thank you so much for being here with us. The premise of this series is we're taking movies, really historically famous Christmas movies, and we're drawing out biblical principles from scenes throughout the movie. And and because of copyright issues, we can't show the scenes verbatim, but we're going to talk about them here together today. And the first movie that we're talking about this Christmas is Home Alone. If you're in my family, it is one of our all-time favorite movies. As a matter of fact, for us, it's not even just a Christmas movie. My son, Shepard, loves Home Alone. So we watch it a lot, and we've watched it a lot already uh, leading up to Christmas season. So we know just about everything there is to know about Home Alone. As a matter of fact, it's one of history's all-time favorite Christmas movies. You may already know this, but Home Alone almost didn't happen. It was it was all set to go, everything ready to go, and at the last minute, Warner Brothers, it was set to be set to be filmed through their organization, and because it was exceeding their $10 million budget by just a little bit, Warner Brothers actually pulled the plug on this movie. Luckily for you and for me, Fox picked it up. The day Warner Brothers pulled the plug, Fox picked it up, and this movie, with a, I think it ended up being a $14 million budget, ended up grossing $476,700,000 in the box office. One of the most all-time grossing box office movies ever. And one of the funniest movies we've ever seen, all of us. We all have quotes and favorite quotes in the movie. It's one of the greatest Christmas movies of all time. And wouldn't you know that it almost didn't happen. I'm so glad that it did. Today, we're going to be talking to you about Kevin and just the walk through the movie, Kevin and his story uh, throughout the Christmas season. This movie, almost it almost didn't happen. Not only that, but they didn't really have a big budget. They filmed the entire movie. The vast majority of the movie was filmed in an abandoned high school. So as we talk through the movie today and, and walk through the scenes, I just want you to hopefully get some good memories out of, a, out of an incredible movie. And hopefully what's going to happen by the end of our time together is the Lord's really just going to open your heart and open your mind to His Word so that we can live a life on purpose that honors Him. So let's pray together and let's dive into the message. Father, we love you. We're so grateful for your grace and your mercy, and we're grateful for Jesus. Thank you as we look forward into this Christmas season that you love the world so much that you sent your son. And so, God, I pray you open our hearts and our minds today as we open up your word and as we dive in to the principles we're going to dig out of this film. God, that you would get all of the glory and all of the honor out of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, scene number one, we're introduced to the McAllister family and a mysterious neighbor. We know uh, in the film they go on to call him Old Man Marley. So we see that they're introduced to this neighbor and, and already Kevin is being uh, convinced that he is like a mass murderer and he's some kind of serial killer. And then Kevin, because... You know, he doesn't get along very well with his family, as you've seen in the opening scenes. We see that his attitude gets him in a ton of trouble. And the principle that I've learned 
out of this first scene that we're looking at is never to judge a book by its cover. Because you see in the very beginning, you see that Kevin is this, this troublemaker and his family doesn't really like him very much. And they've already convinced him to read their neighbor by what they see, by what they perceive. He's scary looking. He's an older gentleman. And, and now Kevin has been led to believe he's this insane uh, axe murderer living next door. Did you know that people have really judged books by their covers all throughout history? The Bible is filled and riddled with stories where people were prejudged and assumptions were made about people uh, left and right all of the time. And every time, really, when assumptions have all been made about people, it's always been a negative assumption. It's been a wrong assumption. I'll share with you a passage of Scripture in 1 Samuel chapter 16. You see where Samuel has been led by God to choose a new king. And he goes in to Jesse, uh, this father, the shepherd's home, and he goes in and he grabs all of his sons. They come into the room, and, and he already sees who he thinks is going to be the obvious choice to be king. He was tall and handsome and strong, and he looked good, and you could clearly see that he was probably the favorite in the family. Come on, we don't all have favorites, do we? No. <laughs> he was the favorite in the family, and, and Samuel instantly thought, well, sure, this is going to be, thanks God, this was easy. This has got to be the next king. And if you read in 1 Samuel 16 and 7, the Lord speaks to Samuel. He says, but the Lord said, don't judge by his appearance or his height, for I've rejected him. The Lord doesn't see the things the way that you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. You know, I've learned this growing up in my own life. It's super easy to look on outside appearance, a social media post, something in someone's life that's just a, a snippet, and assume that we know everything about someone. Kevin had listened to the rumors from his brother and made a negative impact on his perception of his neighbors. Here's what I know. Sometimes our negative assumptions can get us into a lot of trouble, can't it? It happened in the New Testament. Listen, in, first, in John chapter 1, verse 45 and 46, Philip had met Jesus, and he said, I've got to tell someone. I'm going to go tell my brother. And it says in verse 45 that Philip went to look for Nathanael and told him, we found the very person that Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. And listen to what Nathanael said. Nazareth, exclaimed Nathanael, can anything good come from there? And Philip said, come and see for yourself, Philip replied. Come on, can you imagine Nathaniel, an instant assumption because of something he thought about a place. Can anything good come from there? Nathaniel almost missed Jesus because of his perception of where he came from. He almost missed the Son of God because of an instant assumption of what he thought based on something small or minute that he thought he knew about him just because of where he come from. Kevin missed his flight because of a bad attitude and a perception that everyone was against him. Often, our perception of others will tempt us to just go at it alone. Come on, it's possible that maybe in this season you've missed God's best for you in this season, 2020, because you've made assumptions based on somebody's perception, based on somebody's quick uh, idea, or maybe maybe it was a social media post, or maybe it was something that, uh, a visual that you saw about someone. Maybe it was something that somebody told you about 
someone much like Kevin and his neighbor, and you've overlooked them for one reason or another. Maybe you can write these things down. I'm going to give you some, some steps, just some hints, some, uh, some helpful uh, hints that will help us not judge a book by its cover. The first thing I would tell you is, hey, when you see something that's out, that, that turns you off or that maybe gives you an assumption, I would say the first thing we need to do is just, hey, how about just stop in that moment and pray for that person? Another one is, a really good one is, hey, let's believe the best in people. Let's look for the positive. Let's not always look for the negative. I think humanity, we're really good at looking at what's wrong, what needs to be corrected. And there's a time and a place for that. But I would submit that in, the, in most circumstances, if we would condition ourselves to look for the positive, to believe the best, then most of the time things will turn out for the better. I would say this one's a good one. Stop judging yourself. I think many of us in this season that we find ourselves in, it's easy for us to judge others because we're so good at judging ourselves. We don't give ourselves a break. We don't give ourselves grace. And as a result, that overflows into circumstances with other people. The last one I'll give you that you can write down that's a helpful hint uh, is, is monitor your thoughts. Don't dwell on the negative. I'm going to look for the positive. Don't dwell on the things that turn us off. Don't dwell on the things that maybe offend you or that hurt you or that are harmful. Don't dwell on the rumors that you hear about someone or something. How about this? How about instead of judging the book by the cover, how about you open the book? Get to know someone a little deeper than their social media posts. Pick up the phone Pick up a phone and make a phone call. Send a text message. Shoot an email. Get to know someone a little deeper than just the cover that you see and the assumptions that you make. Because if we've learned anything from Home Alone in this first scene, Kevin judged by uh, judged a book by its cover, and it ultimately got him in a lot of trouble. Scene number two that we look at is we see where, where Kevin feels that he made his family disappear. This is a funny scene because he wakes up and he just instantly kind of goes downstairs and he's uh, just watching television and then he realizes, where's my family? He goes downstairs and looks and there's a famous scene in the movie where he feels like the, the furnace is talking to him and he's scared and he runs back up and he goes out to the garage and looks there and he realizes that the cars are still there. So instantly he began to realize, it worked. I made my family disappear. And at an instant he was worried, and then he began to dwell on everything that everyone had told him. Kevin, you're a disease. Look what you did, you little jerk. All the different things that his family had said to him the night before, and, and all of that fueled his excitement. And he got excited, and he said, I made my family disappear. And as a result, he threw a party. He ran around his house. He was excited. He could eat all the food he wanted. He could stay up as late as he wanted. He was instantly thinking about all of the good and positive things that were going to come from being alone. But here's what I've learned in my faith journey. Being alone seems good until it's not. Being alone is, is, is great in seasons until it's not. Hebrews chapter 10 gives us some wisdom in this area. He says, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope that we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and to good works and to let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near.
Holding tight to the hope that we affirm. What is this hope? What does that even look like? It's Jesus. Hold tight to the hope that we affirm. We affirm that the gospel is real, that Jesus, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. This hope that we believe in is Jesus and let us hold tight to it and listen to what he goes on to say. Let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do. Kevin was super excited to be alone until trouble came knocking. If you know the movie, you know that Harry and Marv had plans for Kevin and his home. You'll notice in watching the movie that they were afraid to hit the house. They were afraid to, to, uh, to rob the place when they thought the entire family was home. As a matter of fact, they had cased the whole neighborhood. They knew exactly when the Christmas lights were going to come on because of timers. They knew exactly who was home, when they were. They had done their homework. And they thought that the McAllisters were all gone and Kevin had set it up to where they would believe that the whole family somehow had stayed home. And when they thought that everyone had stayed home, they were afraid to hit the home. But when they found out that it was lying and that it was actually only him alone in the home, their boldness increased, didn't it? You know, we've talked about that a little bit over the last couple of months at Cultivate Church, how our, our isolation is the enemy's playground, how we were never designed to be alone in this life. And every time we're alone and isolated, the enemy gets a little more bold in our lives. He did the same thing to Jesus, and he does the same thing to us. The enemy looks for isolated prey. The enemy looks, he's more bold when you're alone, You're when you're a weaker vessel. That's why the Bible says in 1 Peter for us to be alert, to be on guard. Our enemy, the, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. That's why Jesus warned us that the enemy comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. We're never designed to be alone. Maybe you're in a season of your life where you've allowed the circumstances of 2020 to isolate you relationally or even physically. Maybe you were, maybe we were all, we were all at some point in the year forced to physically isolate, and maybe that, maybe you're still in that moment. And maybe if you're honest with yourself, you have allowed physical isolation to lead to relational isolation. We've said it over and over again at Cultivate Church that social distancing is not relational distancing. Maybe you can ask yourself this question, who do you need to extend an olive branch to? Who do you need to reach back out to? Who do you need to call or message or get in touch with? Maybe there's someone that you need to reach back out to and begin to do life with again in some way, some form, and some fashion because being alone is great until it's not. Being alone is great until you need someone. Maybe I've learned this, oftentimes it's when we need it most, when we need community most, when we need people most, it's in those moments sometimes that we're most tempted to just push it away, isn't it? That's what Kevin did. He thought that he was succeeding in, in his goal until he needed his family most. And if you've seen the movie, you've watched the scenes where Kevin said, please come back. I'll be good. I don't want you to be gone anymore. Many of us find ourselves in that season right now as we enter into this Christmas season, relationships that have, that have weakened, friendships that have weakened. We find ourselves, we found ourselves physically isolated and now we're emotionally isolated. We're relationally isolated. It was all fine until it wasn't. 
In the third scene, we see that Kevin meets face-to-face with one of his biggest fears. In church, of all places, old man Marley. I've learned this through that scene. Often, our greatest inspiration comes from the most unlikely people. We should make room for them. We should forgive offenses. We should make room for the people that are the most unlikely of, of people that would help in any circumstances. If you see the scene, he, he comes over in the church and you can see Kevin's face. He's shocked that this, in his mind, axe murderer is in church and he's walking over to him. And they begin to have this heartfelt conversation. And if you've seen the movie, it's really one of the more, more powerful scenes in the movie. They became a help to one another. They developed a relationship that otherwise would have never happened if someone wouldn't have walked across the aisle and began the conversation. Colossians talks about it in uh, Colossians 3 verse 13. Scripture teaches us to bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. He goes on to tell us, forgive as the Lord forgave you. What's he saying? He's saying for us to make room for each other's faults. Bear with one another. Come on, walk across the aisle and start the conversation. I love that he looks at Kevin and he tells him, he said, you know, there's a lot of rumors going around about me, but none of those are true. You can at least say hello if you see me outside. And that opened up, that, that, opened, that, little, converse, that little statement opened up for a bigger conversation overall where they were able to speak into one another's lives. Who in your life do you need to walk across the aisle to and maybe you need to put to rest some offense? Maybe you need to put to rest some assumptions. Maybe someone has read you, read the book by its cover in your life. Maybe there's someone who you've read their book by their cover. You've made assumptions in their life based on their life, the things that you think you know about them. And maybe you need to put some of those things to rest by just starting a conversation. What if there's some people in your life that you need to forgive? What if there are some people in your life that you have pushed away, you've isolated yourself away because of some offense? Maybe it was a social media post that you read at some point during this pandemic. Maybe it was something that they said in this pandemic that was a disagreement politically or even spiritually or relationally. There was a disagreement that caused an offense. And because of that, you have, you've, you've, for whatever reason, you've pushed away uh, relational r- relationships and now you're relationally isolated and who is it in your life that you need to walk across the aisle to and put some things to rest I've learned this in my life that holding a grudge is really letting someone live rent-free in your head I read this this week that unforgiveness chains us to the past poisons the present and it keeps us from God's best in our future Often it's my inability to forgive someone else that stops me from giving someone new a chance. Because we've said this, man, I've been hurt before. I'm not going through that again. I'm not opening up to those people again. I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to stay isolated. It's safer to be here, except that's a trick of the enemy. We feel safer in our isolation, and in reality, we're weaker. We feel safer in being alone, and in reality, we're an easy target for the enemy. Unforgiveness poisons my potential. Unforgiveness takes away time that you'll never get back. I, I love what Kevin said when he's talking to uh, old man Marley who had already opened up in the, in the scene about a disagreement that he had had with his son. 
He said, he said some things, and I said some things, and then at some point I said, well, I don't care if I ever see you again. And his son said, well, I don't care if I ever see you again. And they haven't spoken since. And the reason they hadn't spoken is because he was simply afraid of what his son might say back to him. And I love what Kevin said. He said, I don't care how mad I was. I would talk to my dad, especially in the holidays. Come on, who in your life do you just need to reach back out to? Maybe it would be the most unsuspecting people in your life that could make the greatest difference. Bear with one another. Make room for one another's faults. Forgive any grievance that you've got against someone. Come on, it's not worth it. As we walk into this Christmas season, who in your family do you need to forgive? Who in your local church do you need to forgive? Who among all of your friends and relationships do you need to forgive? Or maybe you need to repent and you need to seek forgiveness in your own life. That could make all the difference this Christmas season in whether or not I'm willing to joyfully live my life on purpose or whether or not I continue to isolate myself alone and be an easy target for the enemy to hit. The final scene that we look in that we look at this week in the movie Home Alone is we realize when trouble finally gets the best of Kevin, it's the most unlikely new relationship that actually saved him. We see where Kevin is, you, you know all of the scenes, it's, it's the funniest part of the movie where Kevin says, I must protect this house and all of the different scenes where these, where these two crooks literally go through a torture chamber to try to, uh, to, try to hit this home that, that they had cased out for weeks, maybe even months. And, and at the very end of it, finally trouble gets the best of Kevin. He thinks that he's planned it all out perfectly and they finally get the best of him and they go around the back and he walks up the stairs and there they are. And they're hanging on, they've got him hanging on the door, and Kevin is afraid for his life. And wouldn't you know it, old man Marley is the one that rescued him. And he hits the guys with the shovel, and we see that Kevin is rescued and saved, and he's reunited with his family, all because of a relationship that he almost never gave a chance. Check this out in Isaiah chapter 8. Here's what I've learned. Our often our greatest gift... It comes from the most unlikely source. And then that what happened with Jesus. For unto us a child is born, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. That's a powerful statement of a soon-coming king that would rescue Israel and would save the entire world. But you know this, when it actually came to happen, it was the most unlikely source. Jesus was born to a teenage girl and her soon-to-be husband from Nazareth. Nobody saw that coming. It had been prophesied for generations, and they still, nobody saw that coming. Now, I've seen Home Alone 10,000 times over the years, and I know what's going to happen. But I remember being a kid, seeing that guy come in with a shovel and thinking, Oh, no. He is what they said. Is he going to kill them all? In that moment when, you've not, when you don't really know what's happening, you had not read the end of the book, it's a surprise to see that he's the one who saved Kevin. And in reality, in the history of all of the world, wouldn't it be the greatest surprise 
to know that the King of kings and Lord of lords, the rescuer of humanity, was born in a lowly stable to a teenage girl not even married yet. Maybe, maybe our greatest gift comes from the most unlikely source. And that goes to say in our relationships, and maybe even today that's true in your faith journey. Maybe you're tuning in today and and you don't have a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you would say the same thing that Nathaniel said. What good thing could come from Nazareth? What good is this Jesus going to do for me? Man, my life is a mess. My life's in, in, in shambles. Come on, it's 2020. Everybody's life is a mess, right? Everybody's circumstances is in shambles. But I would submit to you that the difference between maybe you and I is I have a hope. I'm clinging to an unwavering hope, and His name is Jesus. And the Bible says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. There are plans to prosper you and not to harm you. The Bible says that God loved you so much that he I believe this with all of my heart. If, if it, Even if it was just you, He would have gone to the cross for just you. You and I were on His mind when He was born, when He left His deity in heaven, and He was born in a manger with nothing. He lived a perfect and sinless life. And the Bible says that He sacrificed Himself so that you and I could find eternity with the Father. So maybe today your greatest gift would come from the most unlikely source and you would submit your life to Jesus and accept Him as your Savior. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And it simply says, maybe you would say, Father, forgive me of my sins. Father, I confess today that there's nothing good in me apart from you. And I confess today, Jesus, that I'm accepting you as my Lord. Today, I recognize that the Christmas story is a miracle, that it's an unlikely source, and I'm accepting you today as my personal Savior. I'm going to live my life on purpose in a way that honors you. And maybe you're tuning in today, and maybe you've accepted Christ as your Savior. Maybe He's Lord of your life, but maybe you would confess today that maybe at some point along the way this year, you've isolated yourself. And physical isolation has led to spiritual isolation. Spiritual isolation has led to relational isolation. You've dropped, you've given up on some relationships. You've, you've, turned, uh, you've turned ahead, you've turned away from people that you've read their book by their cover. You saw a social media post and said, there's no way, I can't believe they would think that or say that, and I'm giving up on them. Or you, something was said to you based on a political agenda or an idea or a thought or whatever it was that was an offense to you and you've walked away from relationship. And today could be the day that you walk across the aisle and you lay some things to rest. I want to pray for you right where you are as well. That God would touch your heart and that God would, would, would bring restoration to your relationships. Because listen, listen, life is too short. Eternity is too long to let everything on this earth and every offense bother us and weigh us down and poison our soul and poison our spirits and ruin our relationships. So right where you are, wherever you are, maybe you would join me in prayer. Father, forgive us where we have read books by their covers, where we have made assumptions and we've not, uh, gone, we've not opened the book, we've not read any deeper, but God, we've cut people off based on assumptions and based on what we think we know. 
And God, I pray that uh, you would just forgive us for, for isolating relationally, for isolating spiritually. God, from now on, I'm, not, uh, I, I'm, I'm repenting for my lack of a prayer life. I'm repenting today for not, for not turning to you sooner. Father, forgive me for the times and the opportunities that I've had to reach out relationally and I've given up on it. Today I recognize that you said that, healing, that salvation comes from Jesus, but that healing comes from community. For us to confess our sins and pray with one another so that we can be healed. And so today I pray that you would bring healing into my life. God, give me the courage to reach out and to walk across the aisle and to lay some things to rest so that I can begin to live my life on purpose in a way that honors you. Father, that you would get all of the glory and all of the honor out of my life. In Jesus' name, amen.